Welcome to the Third Space Podcast, episode number 51. This is Bennett, and in this episode, Daniel and I cover a handful of topics, talk about some dog poop and snow. Uh, Daniel is curious about the sentience of AI. We talk about whether AI can be sentient, is sentient, what is sentience? Is it the same as a soul? Well, we at least ask those questions. And then... I bring up the topic of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a really interesting disorder. Normally you think about disorders being applied to a particular individual, but this is a disorder by an individual propagated on another, so by proxy. Very interesting. We talk about what it is, why it might happen, and what some of the broader effects in society of that might be. I found it really interesting, and I hope you will too. Enjoy. Bennett. Daniel, how are you doing today? Here's something that annoys you well, these days. Yeah, it's people who <laughs> force me to talk about things immediately when I, when I don't introduce the topic. Well, <laughs> how much... How much uh, how much small talk do you think is necessary even for, well, like a, like a podcast? Like, why can't I just go, you can. so I hear something annoys you these days. You why couldn't that be my opening? Why do I have to say you your name? You don't, and, you don't have to do that. I'm just, you caught me off guard is all. But I also think that that's the thing. It does catch you off guard. It feels jarring. Like, like I need to say your name and greet you. And I don't really even, think. Even good friends, I think, do. I don't, I don't think you need to. I just think. You know, since everyone in society does that, I'm used to it. And so it surprises me when that doesn't happen. But actually, I kind of like it. It's a little bit novel in a way. And it makes me almost excited to jump into whatever it is immediately without all well, of this. Let me delay you slightly further. Um, <laughs> okay. What, what about ending conversations? You know, there's always kind of a... Well, that ought to do it kind of vibe to conversations. Uh, uh, yeah. So there's a song and dance to the beginning and to the end. It would be just as jarring to say like, all right, information gathered by and like didn't wait for you because I yeah. don't need you to actually do your, per- I don't need your permission to leave the conversation and the information was exchanged and the relationship's already there. But yet, yet everyone, including us, we kind of have this like, so let me, let me. Do you agree? I agree. Okay. I, I, I think that I think the ending formalities are a little bit more important than the beginning formalities, because if you end abruptly, then it leaves you know, the other person feeling like they were used by the conversation in a way. <laughs> you know, like true. I, and, I agree with that. And there's some amount of closure that you want to attain. You want to make sure that both people got what they you know what they wanted or needed out of the out of this interaction, out of the conversation. And so, oh, are I'm ready to end the conversation. Are you ready to end the conversation? Yes. Okay. And, and then train- conversation ended. Whereas at the beginning, like uh, jumping straight into it doesn't signify any kind of disrespect or being used or whatever. It's just let's get right to it. So that it seems yeah. a little different to me. Transitions are similar though. You have to, they're almost like the ending of one part of the conversation and kind of saying, are you, you know, testing the waters of are you ready? Uh, 
and so it's just strange to change topics absolutely suddenly. So what annoys you? Transition. Yeah. Okay. You did it. All right. (laughs) So it's springtime. The snow uh, here where I am is all melting away for the first time. It's kind of been piled up for all of the uh, all of the winter. (laughs) And now that the snow has melted, strewn across the apartment grounds on beside the sidewalks and even on the sidewalks in some cases is dog crap lots of it many piles of dog crap which i guess you know people took their dogs for a walk during the winter at any point the dogs crapped in the snow it got covered up mummified like a mammoth or a (laughs) neanderthal and buried in the pure white flakes of nature and now that all of, all of the <laughs> snow is melting away, there's just the, turds the, everywhere. Neanderthal poop. Yeah, there's yeah. turds. Well, I'm just confused. There's an agreement with dogs is that you pick up your well, dog's poop, that's and everyone, what I everyone's universally annoyed about not picking it up. It, yeah. So is there an unspoken agreement in the cold weather that you don't have to or should not I, somehow because it's not visible? I don't thereafter? know. I mean, like, I think. Well, all right. I I. Am annoyed with dog owners for a variety of reasons, <laughs> yeah. and this is one of them. Like, uh, you say it's an unspoken agreement to always clean up, clean up after your dog, and to me, it seems kind of like this is this is something imposed upon dog owners that none of them want to do. They do begrudgingly so that they can maintain their pets. Um, they might even look around pets. if no one's around, yeah, just, and just you leave know, it. let it ride. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and. No one joyfully picks up dog turds, you know? Like, that just doesn't happen. It's a confrontation of the oddity of the relationship. You have this great little, like, this this animal that loves you. Dogs love you. Man's best friend. All of that. And then you you go, like, wait a second. I'm picking up their poop. It feels like I'm the servant. I'm the one on that gets the raw end of this deal. Like, And I think that confrontation with reality is uh, unpleasant at, at best. It's, it's an annoyance at best. And so you're right, like... They don't want to, but they know it's not like they don't know there's a cultural and societal agreement. Like pick up your poop, pick up the poop. Yeah. It would just be ridiculous, especially with dog owners on the rise, as we discussed in a previous podcast and like mm-hmm. more and more owning, like we can't just have poop everywhere. No. And like uh, uh, complexes are better and better about putting little uh, trash bags yes. in disposable areas and making it easier and easier. Uh, and a lot of these leashes are designed with like little bags rolled I've up in those. them. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, it's, that's a neat design in terms of just from a concept stance um anyway so like it's just suck it up and do it it's like i don't like doing laundry but you know i, I just do it I mean, like it's, it's part of life and if you own a dog that's just something you have to yeah. get on board with I, mean, I totally agree you know unless you you know live on your own land in the woods or whatever and let you just let your dog go in the yard whatever but if yeah. you're on yeah, public grounds or in an apartment complex or something you should always pick up after your dog now i can you know just trying to think of the practical difficulties of this you know when it's very cold and snowy maybe they're wearing gloves and tough like tough i know man. You know, dude like i totally you. get it i agree you should have to i mean tough shit that's funny because <laughs> like, right. it will get tough if it gets cold and then everything thaws and now you have <laughs> i mean that sounds like it's like it's noticeable is what you're saying like it's like oh here's a uh, a winter's worth of yes. dog poop well, everywhere. It, it's it's shocking. Like you go look and you're like, and it's just everywhere. 
um, and I don't, it's not like no, like normally in an apartment complex, you probably see one or two piles of dog poop where people have just not picked up and they're just being jerks and left it around. But this is like the accumulation of jerk behavior over three or four months now. And it could be two or three dogs because that me- oh, there's that, a if ton they're of pooping dogs. a couple times a day, yeah. then they're, you know. There's a lot of dogs. And the dogs all poop, to my knowledge. But I'm saying if I'm saying only a couple of owners. I mean, it's it's the theory of like a tra- uh, yeah. like if there's a trashy gas station or something, you think oh people here must leave their trash bomb. But it could literally be several people day after day yes. coming by. Yep. And, you know, right? Like it, it's a kind of a rotten apple spoils the whole bunch kind of thing. Like it really could. If let's just say you have a thirty percent, maybe higher dog owners in your apartment complex, then uh, yeah, it could still be two, three bad owners. A, a, right. A, a season's worth of poop yep. per dog. That would be quite a bit of poop. And now I'm thinking, yeah, only a couple would have to do that to make it noticeable and frustrating. Well, the uh, the maintenance staff here where I, where I live, there's only two of them, but it's their unfortunate job now to go around and collect all of the uh, dog crap that's laying around. And like they're like filling a big bag with it. And I'm just thinking, like, man, what is going to happen to that bag? Yeah. <laughs> It's like a garbage bag, like a big bag of dog turds. Like, where is that going to go? Could it become fertilizer? I mean, I mean maybe. I don't, I don't know. But it's just how often do you see in that quantity? Like, I don't know. Just By the just way, this is a random thought. But you know, I have this vivid image growing up of a lot of older dog poop being white. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and it just isn't like ET. anymore. I always, there was always some association between white dog turds and E.T. You know when E.T. gets sick and he turns white? Like a powder donut. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I've always had that association. You're a association. Yeah, it's just always been that association in my in my head. <laughs> is it fair to say though that that so it's true? The white yeah. dog poop is just like that's true, and it also seems to be true. And this might not be this is, but it's not there anymore. Like, has dog food p- potentially changed and gotten better? And they realized, oh, in the '80s and '90s, we were filling, and or maybe early 2000s, we were filling it with this bad filler, and now they've gotten a better cheap filler and, it, uh, and it's not white anymore is you're saying I, mean, it, I have no idea you're I'm saying it's not there anymore it doesn't turn i'm white. saying i don't see white crusty dog poop anymore like i still see crusty dog poop but whatever but i've just not seen that distinct white like hmm. in, like i cannot say that i've seen that in say 10 years wow. i mean okay like, so it I, feels like a childhood memory i haven't you know? paid not, that much attention i'll have to go take a walk later and well <laughs> i'm pulling from a vague like, this is so vague for me to say any of this, but it just occurred to me. I was visualizing the dog poop and going, oh, I'm having a hard time. Like, would it be white or not? Because I don't, wait, is dog poop white? Certainly it is. Wait a second. I, I don't think I've seen white dog poop in years and years. So I don't actually know what the white is. Like, is it some kind of mold or mildew or something that grows on it? If, if that's the case, then maybe it depends on the area. You know where the dog. Poop but it doesn't is. seem like I think of cat poop or like say rat turds or different. You know, it, it just it, it distinctly seems like a dog, and and therefore I'm just guessing dog food. I mean, can, um, can you distinguish cat poop and dog poop by sight? Uh, I would just assume size. Yeah, uh, but no, you know, I I honestly and and potentially more pellet like from a cat. I, I you know you and I are not. The, we're like hilariously discussing something that we know very little about <laughs> like yeah. you know so but it feels like the answer would be yes if i had a dog and a cat i'd easily be able to do it but i i can't i would just think smaller and 
I don't know why I want to say pellet. Um, I mean, don't they? They I tend don't think to. Cats have do cats pellet. care more for their poop? They don't have pellet poop, but I mean, they 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 can For me, it's a little mysterious going in the um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, the litter, litter box. box and like yeah, and and I don't know. Like, what is kitty litter? And I've heard people <laughs> equate it to like they get a little high from it. Like it's like no, they, they love it. That's catnip. Like, You're or, thinking catnip. That's it. Never mind. <laughs> So all of this cat world stuff is a little mysterious, and I've never. I'm just like, yeah, whatever, don't care. So yeah, I've never you don't shouldn't care. All of it is just the emanations of uh, toxoplasmosis, the parasite infecting those people's brains and controlling <laughs> them. So better you not think about it. But what is, what is catnip anyway? What do you buy catnip? You buy some catnip and go, hey, here, like instead of giving them a toy. Yeah, like, I think it's like cocaine for cats. It's like a comes from a plant, I think. I don't really know. But do you they buy just, it? Does it come as like? Do you mix it in the kitty litter? Like, what do no, you, you don't. You serve I, there's totally separate from to, kitty litter. I think. Like, do you put it in a, a cat bowl and say, "Here, kitty, yeah, kitty," and let them just eat it, it or sniff it or I think what, what are they doing? Uh, yeah, I think they inject it. I think they have little syringes that they little needles and they, right. they heat it up on some on little a spoon. Bowl yeah, like, a little a little cute yeah. cat spoon. Um. <laughs> they tie a little band around their arms <laughs> right. to get the or paws and legs. And, yeah. oh, man. I don't know. There's got to be a lot of man. good puns in there. I'm just not coming yeah. to mind. Um, yeah, no, I think it's food. I guess like some kind of gross food that they that they eat and they just freaking love it. I don't know why. I mean, is it that you sprinkle it over? Is it a no, dust? I don't is think it so. I, I don't know, but I think it's like you know wet dog food. I think it's kind of like that. Yeah. You get it in a can and it's wet, I think. Do you have to be careful and be like, this is catnip. Like, this is literally like cocaine to kit- kittens. So we have to you like, have to cut you can't it. just give it to them every meal. You can't, yeah, you have to cut it and like <laughs> prepare it. And like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, so dog poop. It's annoying, right? That's just my, that's just my <laughs> annoyance. That's all I got. I just wanted to express to you how annoyed I was by it. Yeah. Yeah, there's no solutions. I don't have like a good answer for you, but I do know that when I try to get, if I'm if I'm in the position of telling kids to pick up their trash, um, I will say things like, you know, like I like the idea of personalizing the janitorial staff. Uh, oftentimes, I get to know them and talk to them, and and then I think about what it would be like to have to pick up people's trash. Just like I said, uh, you have to accept the deal when you have a dog, and that you've got to pick up their poop. You'd have to do something interesting as if your if your job was picking up trash. You could get really bitter really quick, particularly at a school. Yeah. Particularly at a school, an independent school with like you know yeah, privileged kids, kids and just being mad about them putting like like you're you as an adult is picking up this trash left behind by kids. And they're dropping like hundred dollar bills crumpled around. <laughs> yeah, all of that and stuff. I'm just saying I understand it would be so annoying, but you'd have to just bury that and say it's my job. I'm just picking up stuff. But at the same time. Uh, I think potentially it's not a guilt trip as much as just trying to humanize like 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 you know someone has to pick this up. It's in fact it's Kenny uh, and Kenny's a nice guy. Like don't like make his job easier, won't you? Like like don't just leave your stuff behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like I don't try to lecture and get preachy about it, but I just like dude pick up your stuff. Uh, Maybe I'll do that. Not to. Maybe I'll hang some posters around with my face on them and say like, hey, I live here too, and. If- you know, if you don't pick up your dog crap, and I'll complain about it on a podcast that only a few people listen to, and really try to bring it home to them. That and you have like puppy dog eyes, yeah. and you know it's in black and white. <laughs> this is meet Bennett. <laughs> Bennett is annoyed easily by your dog poop. <laughs> I'm a very 
uh, sympathetic figure. I'm sure that would that would get some change. <laughs> Actually, I think my apartment complex is going with the stick route and not the carrot route. They said they're impo- they're installing a camera in the dog park to uh to to monitor, I guess. And if you don't pick up your dog poop, then the first offense is like $150 fine. The second is like Ooh. a $350 fine. I like it. You gotta, you yeah, know, man. You gotta lay down the law. It's a complex. You just gotta say these are the rules, yep. and you know the rules already. And now this is your warning. You know, yep. um, we got one recently that said, um, "If you smell marijuana, call the police." Oh, jeez! <laughs> it was like, whoa! <laughs> call the president. Uh, it, it was like, and we will call the cops, and we will prosecute to, to the fullest extent of the law. It was just a really intense. I, I don't know if it seemed to me that they must have gotten some complaints. And those, and they were tired of the complaints, and they're like, "All right, this is hardball." Right, uh, yep. and so, you know, whatever. I got a question for you. Okay, got an answer for you. It's a complete subject shift. Um, That's what I like. I've been thinking a lot about AI, uh, and well, I'll just ask the question: uh, Do you think artificial intelligence? Even in theory, not how close are we to it, but in theory, can it reach sentience? Define sentience. Um, can it be self-aware uh, and set goals independent of its creator? And anything else you want to add? You can help me construct this idea. Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's a compl- self-aware aspect. Yeah. It's a complicated idea, I mean, but- so... I mean, I guess it, like, can it have a soul? Yeah, is really that's where we're going. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's where we're going. My answer is no for that reason. I don't think you can artificially construct a soul. I mean, we get into the metaphysics of it really fast um, because people would say, "Oh, well, humans are just biological machines. We're just a collection of molecules that you know accumulate in certain ways to build tissues and organs and." And we're trillions and trillions of neurons firing, and that's yes, that's super complex, but it's still yeah, but it's it still can be still machinery, deduced. still biological yeah, yeah. machinery, and if if you can make biological machinery that can be sentient, why could you not make um, you know something made of silicon and metal and plastic that could be sentient? That's that's the argument. Yeah, and my answer uh, is well disappointing because it's you know it's metaphysical it's uh well humans have souls we have something unique about us that distinguishes distinguishes us from every other life form that we've ever encountered every other artificial construct that we've ever encountered and we've never once seen anything else that has the same sort of consciousness that that we do and until i see some evidence that that can be attained elsewhere, then I, I just think that there's something unique about, about human beings. Um, I think anyone would be, it'd be stupid to push back and say, well, we're not that unique. We're definitely unique. We're, yes. But are we, are we confusing? Like, I just want to play devil's advocate and say, well, yes, we're unique in that we are wildly complex. But just because we're yeah. uh, mind-bogglingly complex currently doesn't mean that that can't be you know, mapped uh, or mm-hmm. or mined and turned into a code. Can't be codified over over time. Maybe we're not even... I, I seriously think... Well, here's what I think right now is that AI, people talk about sentience, and it's, it's really because it's easy to replicate actions, 
and those actions we confuse yes. for uh, like thoughtfulness, yes. right? So, so it can appear, it's very clear to me that we're so wildly far from it right now, even though it, a, you know, chat GPT or whatever can appear to talk to you, can appear to have a personality, um, but it's truly just holding up a bunch of mirrors and, right. and seeming like it has a personality, seeming like, like if we feed it thoughts and it well, regurgitates thoughts, then it looks like it's thinking. Right. Well, think about this. I mean, this is something that we talked about previously uh, about anthropomorphization of animals, right? A lot of pet owners yeah. truly think that their dog can understand them or has the same emotions and they interact with them as if they are people. And if it's a, easy for a dog who can't speak other than, you know, woof, like they can't actually speak words. If, if people can confuse that for, you know, human-like consciousness, then surely they can confuse an AI, which may be able to use language, synthesize speech, be housed in some sort of human-looking droid body or something, in, you know, in the future, or hologram or whatever, hover, hovering AI of the future um like that would like those same people would definitely be confused and i think many more people would be confused and assume that there's something there there's some spark there's a soul there when it's really not and it's complicated even further because well we don't even know what a soul really is consciousness is one of the great mysteries that we still have in front of us we don't understand it we don't know what it is how it works we can't create it in a lab so it's a mystery from multiple angles. Are you using consciousness and having a soul as uh, the same, like interchangeably? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, because I mean, there are there are nuanced differences that you can argue about between sentience, um, being conscious, uh, and having a soul. But I think that the distinctions are, for the broad purposes, meaningless. Well, can I just say that? I feel like you could make a compelling case that a dog is conscious in that, like it, not it's not just uh, uh, responding to stimuli as much as like it seems to experience happiness and sadness. And, yeah, you can. Uh, you can make a that. relationship yeah. with things. You can make. And so I feel comfortable saying a dog's conscious. Sure, but I don't. You, you I can, don't feel comfortable saying they have a soul or, or you know. Yeah, you can uh, make that argument. I don't know where to go with that's, that. And that's what I'm saying. Like you can have those nuanced discussions around the edges, but. Uh, I, I think that in the broad sense, the distinctions are pretty, pretty meaningless. Well, I, the, the reason this is interesting to me is because I think you could say, I'm prepared to say that AI is, is uh, vastly more complex, maybe, and, and intelligent more than a dog, but a dog is conscious and an, and a, and a, and AI is totally not. But I don't even know if I say, when I say intelligent and complex... Um, they're ob like AI is more intelligent and potentially more. I wouldn't say more complex than say me personally, like Daniel, but uh, it's it's definitely has computing power and more facts loaded into it than I do. Um, but I just wanted to like distinguish, like okay, I mean, like, I think for the sake of the argument, can you go with a dog being conscious and and yet way stupider than AI? Like, this is interesting, right? There's there's an interesting case. That... I mean, it, you have to define what you mean by intelligence, then. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that... Retain, I don't know that yeah, you could I don't know that call AI, AI intelligent. I mean, the, the mechanisms behind what it's doing when it's taking an IQ test, for example, are so totally different than what 
humans are doing when they're taking an IQ test or what dogs are doing when they're doing whatever doggy IQ test there is. So what is AI doing when it's problem solving and, and quote unquote learning? We use these terms pretty well, readily to say like, look at it, learn, look at yeah. it, uh, I mean, problem it, solve. It depends on how, the, what, what methodology the AI is using under the hood. But I mean, essentially AI benefits from vast quantities of memory because you know, it's just computer, computer memory huge processing speed and the ability to uh, very rapidly query its memory without loss and perform mathematical computations to associate things. Um, and so learning uh, in many of the ways that AI works is done by repeated exposure to something. If it's supervised learning, meaning there's a human or some other method telling it right from wrong, then it associates all of the rights from wrongs and essentially makes kind of a weighting number, uh, W-E-I-G-H-T, weight, a weighting number, and it uses that statistically. When, when presented with a novel case, a new question, it compares this new case to all of the old cases, uses whatever this weighting is that it's established, and then makes a decision based on that. So you, are you comfortable saying that it does become more advanced it does grow uh like or or that it is doing that like clearly it's doing that right it's yeah. growing and becoming more advanced uh well what is, more advanced, what is it growing I, I mean more advanced i don't know it depends on what you mean like more useful it's accumulating maybe. more things to compare to and it is polishing and honing its its function that allows it to compare its comparison functions i guess if you want to Try to find a term. So yeah, so it so it will continue to. But it doesn't understand. More, There's no understanding there. Uh, like it fundamentally doesn't understand. So it's not growing toward understanding. It's just getting more efficient and um, just uh, more useful. It's, Is that it's, a better way? It's to... fitting itself more closely to what it's been exposed to, and building up a larger database for lack of a better term, of experiences. I mean, you could draw, we, you could draw parallels. Yeah, there's a parallel for it to us, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, obviously there is, but the associations that we make, well, it's, it's just a different level a different level of complexity. And then, of course, you get to the, the mysteries of consciousness and self-awareness as well, which you know don't, aren't present in these AI Algorithms. Do you want that to remain a mystery, like consciousness and the idea of a soul? Like, is there a part of you that's devoted, like, like that part of your paradigm or worldview or whatever you want to call it is like, you need, we need to be sort of unique. Like, I'm just like, what if we're not? And uh, we just don't like that idea. So we start with the axiom that no, 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 we have a soul and that can't be replicated. Because that's exactly like what you said initially. So I was just wondering, are you kind of emotionally invested in that idea or it, it and i'm not saying you specifically that's a good question. um i mean i think there is some what do they call it like i need there to be meaning anthropocentrism and to this idea uh yeah yeah you know thinking that humans are the center of existence um do do i need that to be true probably not i mean Look, if aliens were real, which they're not, and we discovered them, which we won't, um, <laughs> and but you saying that's reinforcing. I'm idea, joking, right? but yeah, I know, I know. But if, but you kind of believe, or you do believe it. If, so. Well, if they were, if there were aliens and they appeared, 
and we had whatever friendly contact with them there was and we learned that humans aren't unique with my life would continue on and I would continue to enjoy the things I enjoy and I might try some alien foods every now and then uh, and I would recognize <laughs> that aliens exist and it wouldn't alter it wouldn't send me into a spiraling depression assuming they wanted to coexist peacefully and you sure. were like locked in a cell or whatever yeah. yes right um, it wouldn't upset my world so do I need humans to be the only sentient conscious soul having beings no but we are um well not only only just the fact that like what if we're not like we like we apply this term sentient like it's baked into our like existence is that we have meaning we have a soul there's a purpose and our goal is to find that out and be a, a good moral person like all of the like these are all like kind of axiomatic truths uh i know i kind of overuse that term but i'm just saying i'm trying to push to see if like we're devoted to those truths fundamentally because it would be potentially very depressing arguably freeing uh to be provocative and go Ooh, it'd be interesting to learn it's all kind of meaningless and you can just sit back and enjoy the ride that, that's a freeing thought but um or a depressing one to me i lean toward very very depressing which is why i don't even like to entertain it except in like an intellectual discussion like this. Like as soon as this discussion's over, I'll go back to believing like in the, the soul and like purpose and meaning and uh, I'm driven by, you know, something greater. Yeah, I think in, yeah. I think empirically people who believe that humans have souls and a purpose uh, fare better, fare better in life and are happier than nihilistic people who think we're just bags of meat floating through space. Yeah, um, yeah. And don't Agreed. don't have a purpose. So, you can you can question my motivations uh, and and wonder if I am making my willing myself to believe these uh, crazy things. You know that we can't prove, but ultimately you can't. I certainly don't think it's crazy. No, by sure, the way. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, but but you can't prove that their absence either. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a stalemate, and in in the presence of this metaphysical stalemate we can just look and see who has the better outcomes uh and i think that's a rational way to to look at it and the people with the, and if you have better outcomes doesn't that tend to speak to the truth of it i think that it it might <laughs> i think so yes um, i mean that's the I think, whole i think that's a great argument for god right is like those who send, tend to put purpose outside of themselves and there's something greater than themselves as why they're here they they tend to fare better and so Okay, well, uh, that seems to reveal some truth about the universe. Exactly, that's exactly that, like, what I was going to say. Like there, there is some order to the universe, and you know we we can glimpse pieces of that order, bits and pieces of that order, and that order is revealed in reality, in truth, in what happens. And you know you can look at what happens, and like I said, the people the people who have who believe there is a purpose tend to fare better, and the people who don't tend to fare worse. Not always, but I think that that gives us a clue as to the nature of the universe. That's my, that's how I look okay. at it. Let, let me bring it back to the beginning of this discussion. I think one of the first things out of your mouth was something along we are biological machines or biological machinery that really jumped out at me because I wanted to bring up this point. It's like since we introduced machines or computers or technology, um, we also mentioned that the parallels can be drawn between ourselves and machines or, or 
technology and we even things like let me let me file that away in my brain for later you know mm-hmm. like we speak so deeply in metaphor to ourselves being machine like um, just because it's it's useful but uh, is that a problem because that starts to make that link that we are just complex machinery uh, and that I just wonder if that's a, an issue uh, of using that metaphor. I mean, it's useful to a point, but what it does is it primes us to start to believe that we're no different, different than complex machinery. It, it, it paves the pathway for the argument that I was trying to push you on and say, like, yeah, we're just complex well, the machines. Well, word, the word memory existed before computers. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. there's blending, right? Like, the, we used uh, a lot of our computer terminology our models from real life files and folders and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, that too. That's true. So there's just a blend, a big blending. And I guess that we, that the idea of metacognition is a relatively new idea, thinking about thinking and it's, it's developed in a world of technology. So all of our metaphors were grabbed from machinery and computers, which were also, like you said, uh, you know, we name things like folders, you know. Yeah, and uh, we have to yeah. simplify as well. Like, we don't, in common parlance, or when you're teaching your kid to use the iPad or whatever, you're not going to talk in terms of near... I mean, we don't understand how the brain works in depth. And so we literally don't have the terminology to refer to some of these things. We don't know how memory works in the brain exactly. We know the concept, and so we apply that to our machines that do kind of the same thing. It's a similar thing, being able to recall yeah. information at a later time. You're totally right. It's just that that's what we went with is is computers and machines. We didn't uh, we didn't use something else, but it's all so blended anyway. Maybe it's not that interesting of a point. I just I just think that that's the metaphor we went with early on, and like it's it's there now. So then it makes us seem not that different than machines. So. Yeah, I just think that that's a cursory. You know, that's not thinking about it too deeply and yeah the analogy is there but i don't know i mean it, it, it just exposes the limitations we have to understand the brain you, you, you could know, you could make the same case when people say oh human we're just animals you know we're just animals too um or a bag of meat yeah you did bag say of that meat, too, all of that so. stuff like there are lots of reductionist ways to compare humans to whatever and try to kind of sidestep the fact that we are or some like something sinister like we're just a virus on the earth yeah all of that kind of like stuff that, there yeah. there are lots of easy ways to diminish how unique we are um and like i i don't i don't really know why exactly people love to and maybe it's um maybe it's virtue signaling to try to say that it's... you know we you know we think we're so great uh, but we're really not. We're just bags of meat. We're just animals, virus on the earth, cancer on the earth, whatever. Like it allows you to, you know, claim some moral high ground. Um, uh, well, in David Foster Wallace said this and This Is Water. He said, in the practical world, there are no atheists. We all worship something, whether it's money or... And he said, and he actually, as as a an atheist, I believe he was, he, he like said, God is one of the only things you can worship that won't turn around and punish you because if you worship money you'll never have enough if you worship power you're, you're you'll end up seeking it and bullying others and whatever so you can just see how it can be like really screwed up so i think in a modern society that attempts or postmodern society that attempts to sort of degrade or belittle the existence of god 
they're they need something else so it becomes i don't know like save the earth mm-hmm. or you know we're and and then then you need to uh in order to create your messaging you gotta just say like oh we're meaningless and it's just <laughs> nihilistic is is the end point here and it's really depressing and so then you have uh, yeah, you have a lot of people with mental health issues. <laughs> I mean, all, all of it's connected. That, uh, that's a really good transition to what I wanted to talk about. Um, let's do it, yeah. So ha- have you ever heard of Munchausen Syndrome by Proxy? I have, actually. Uh, do you know what it is? Or would you tell me more? Okay. I, let, me, let me, do you want me to offer uh, up? No, 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 that's a, okay. I just, just well, okay. I'll, I'll t- <laughs> I'm, I'm just a little surprised that you... You're in the seat here. I, yeah. I'm surprised you knew what it was, but um, so... I uh, screw you, Ben. I know things. <laughs> oh well, um, I read about it a little bit recently, and I found it fascinating. Um, and I just there's still some mystery to this particular uh, syndrome, and so I wanted to discuss it with you and see what you thought. So, um, Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It's also known by another name, uh, factitious disorder imposed on another, as apparently. The more sounds more descriptive. The more yeah. appropriate term, but I like Munchausen syndrome by proxy. I think it sounds cooler. Um, it is a mental illness uh, and a form of child abuse. Um, so what what happens is the caretaker of a child, usually the mother, but very rarely uh, the father, they make up symptoms uh, or they cause real symptoms in their child to make the child appear or or actually be sick so they themselves don't necessarily exhibit any kind of sickness or illness but they foist a a manufactured either literally or figuratively illness onto their child um yeah man it's twisted for for reasons unknown um and you know i mean i can think of a lot of reasons. i can too well and the, the suggestion you know if you read any of the uh, descriptions of Munchausen syndrome by proxy or the Wikipedia page or whatever, you know, it, it tells you that um, one of the notable things about this is that it's not done for external reward. But I, what? I take it issue. Says that? Yeah, it says that. But yeah, but I take issue with that. I don't think totally. <laughs> I don't think that that's true. Um, and also, it's continually classified as a mental disorder. And I'm not sure that I buy that wholesale either. And this is, I guess, the the key question I wanted to ask you in the context of this uh, particular disorder. What's the difference between a mental disorder, if you want to classify this a mental disorder, and just simply being an immoral person or a person taking advantage of someone else for for your own gain or for for whatever potential reward? I, I, I don't know how and why they classified this as a mental disorder. And to me, it seems like a solid argument could be made that it's just crappy people exploiting their children. Um, yeah, what point does it become clinical? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's useful to make it clinical because sure. it's this, it seems it's a pattern. unusual that it's this pattern that they've seen that emerged distinctly like like this. But you would think it, it the, the underpinning jerkishness, selfishness, yeah. whatever, or, or uh, like a, like I just would want to back up and say, like I can imagine someone starved for affirmation yes. and becomes a parent, right? Like they 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 have a kid, yeah. And being a parent's tough, and you can read a lot of books on it, but you know, there it's just so complex. 
and you want affirmation for being a good parent. Uh, kids are sick. I'm imagining the kid legitimately gets sick at some point early on. And then it's interestingly enough as a parent, like doing the right thing is confusing. But when they're sick, it's it's less confusing. It's take them to the doctor, get yeah. them the meds they need, do the like get them physically well. Yes. I mean, it's the same reason that physical pain uh, makes a certain degree like people self harm when they experience all this abstract trauma in their brain and they can't quite they don't know how to soothe but you can soothe a cut on your wrist like it's I, I'm not not justifying it i'm just saying there is a degree of logic behind it okay but just as i would say cutting yourself for to manage that pain i would say that that feels like a mental illness like you're something so twisted even though like just because it can be logically reasoned through doesn't mean it's not mental illness. And just so I can, I can reason through Munchausen by proxy. Uh, doesn't mean that I don't think it's some clinical. Like it's so twisted. I mean, you're opening up the question of is all mental potentially is all mental illness. Uh, you know, I'm just wondering. Just assholery, <laughs> well, selfishness manifests. I wouldn't know? necessarily make that case and put that put that forward, but I do wonder how much does the will, you know, our ability to influence our own behaviors and actions, how much does it come into play in something like something like this or in other things that we classify as mental disorders? And I wonder if we haven't given a little bit too much weight to. I know this is extremely provocative, but we, you know, there's a lot of buzz about mental illness lately and people talking about how important it is and that it rivals physical illnesses in terms of, you know, impact. And all of that yeah. may be true, but I think we really underplay how important our own agency is in combating or overcoming these mental issues. Well, I have to agree with you. I think we're like over-diagnosing ADHD yes. when I do think like, I mean, like of course kids have, I'll, I'll use the term for a second, of course kids have ADHD when they live in a TikTok culture and then have to sit still in class and do something comparatively far less sexy, far less flashy, far less like, like sustain attention for an hour or whatever the class period is and then do that six in a row or whatever. I mean, that's impossibly difficult when compare when you normalize fast culture so mm -hmm. i i appreciate the discussion on mental health because we're trying to understand humans but i think we're, we're in this we're if we're at the beginning of the discussion historically of mental health trying to deconstruct taboos and actually talk about it instead of kind of burying it i think we're going to wildly overdiagnosed yes. and minimize, minimize agency and autonomy. Well, think about, think so I just think where we're at. Think, think about this too. This is another, you know, another provocative topic that I've brought up before about the, the excess of empathy that we have as a society, as opposed to sympathy. And we did a whole talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And the empathetic thing to say is that, oh, it's not your fault. You have a mental illness, you know, you have ADHD or you have, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, it's not your fault, it's the illness's fault, and you're just a victim of the illness. Is that, I'm not saying that this is the case, but it, it's very easy to fall into that empathy-giving state instead of saying, you should behave better, you should focus, you should exert your will, which you have, and overcome this tempting behavior, uh, maybe even uh, biologically 
addictive behavior um, and yeah, and change yeah. your path a little bit. Like that's the that harder, the- tougher um, route to say. And then there's the empathetic way. And maybe there, you know, maybe there's a blend of both that are that are needed. Um, I think there has to be a blend. I think it's twofold. I think I wish the conversation were like, look, these are the cards you dealt. Yeah, they're crappy cards. Um, now let's play the best game you can with them. And so I think the discussion is we might be going, oh, you were dealt this crappy hand. Look how crappy it is. You're never going to win. Like there's no way. You only have a pair of, you have a two and a seven offsuit or whatever the worst hand in, in Texas Hold'em is. You know, <laughs> like how, how are you ever going to make anything work with this? Um, and if, if you emphasize the hand you're dealt too much, then yeah, the person with the cards is going to say, ah, just like, what's the point? Whereas I think you... I think it could be useful to know, okay, I was dealt a two and a seven off suit. Like, this is a tough, this is tough. Uh, and then, like, to, to try and, uh, whether it's, it's, it's kind of folds into those growth mindset yeah. Uh, yeah. views of the world. is like, okay, I, I think there's a lot of comfort in understanding who you are and what you have. And so if I know I have a tendency, a, a capacity, a propensity to uh, be attracted to down these paths that could disrupt my life, it is comforting to know hey i'm not uh, like like i have this thing and like i need to accept my monsters i need to acknowledge them but i'm not going to use them as an excuse now that i know i have these monsters i can fight them better and that's the huge like that's step one is acknowledging the monsters but that's just step one it's arguably the most important because you can't get to step two without it but we have to we have to say these are my monsters and I'm going to now engage and try to um, fight them. Um, you could even say hug them and like you know like be gentle with yourself, but also like hug them and then turn it into a to a chokehold. <laughs> right. Because like I I think if if I'm articulating your frustrations and mine too, it's that we say, oh, I, you have these monsters, so like the monsters, you know how they're monsters. They're scary. They win. They're bigger than you. So well, there's an ad- so, yeah. additional complexity. And especially with this Munchausen syndrome, that monsters gain you a lot of attention and sometimes adulation. And so for for an individual person, sometimes it's beneficial to them in certain ways, most often in the short term, to say, look at me, I'm a victim, look at what I have. And that, I guess, would be Munchausen syndrome just itself. It gets even worse because now the parents or the caretaker can also claim some sort of virtue uh, or adulation or maybe even monetary compensation um, by saying, well, my child is the victim. I'm the good person taking care of them. Um, and, and it gets even more complex because, it, you know, traditionally this has been physical illnesses. Like there are examples of mothers uh, poisoning their children so that they legitimately are continually sick or yeah, yeah. shaving their heads and forcing them to ride in wheelchairs um, or yeah there's a show called the act that's about this it's oh, on okay. Hulu it's amazing it's great that's how I know about oh, it all right I see um, I didn't know about that and anyway those are the cases that you think that you think of traditionally but you know now we live in an era where mental illness has skyrocketed and you know you have suicide attempts but especially by teenagers a lot of younger kids are having additional issues and it makes me wonder has munchausen syndrome by proxy also skyrocketed and maybe a lot of these reported causes of issues are due to parents foisting these 
manufactured issues onto their children, whether whether literally manufactured by poisoning them or figuratively manufactured by telling the the child that you know oh you have ADHD that's why you yeah, are doing having this. them tested and yeah, all of that. All of that. That's, you know you're totally right because just this week I had a student who uh, I would call this a st- typical male boy ninth grade student like forgets his book to class half the time Mm -hmm. he's actually a sharp reader and participates in class sometimes he fails the comprehension checks because he just doesn't read and i would just i would just say this is totally within the standard well uh i got an email from a doctor saying he's being tested and to fill out this form i probably fill out 10 of these a year man like and and i've had even like uh, administrative people say look it's just true that more and more people are having their kids tested. And, and in a lot of ways, that's this is how this is how it's portrayed to me. In yeah. a lot of ways, this is good. This is best practices. Just like who, like why wouldn't you want to have your kid tested to figure out if there are issues so you could get the tools to best serve them educationally? Like it makes sense. So, yeah, yeah we're going to have a lot of kids uh, diagnosed with things. And and it, it was actually a speech trying to kind of calm the teachers going because then we get these what are called IEPs, individual education plans, in which you have to like put, you know, it'll say like, oh, testing gets extra time. Well, all of a sudden extra time means I have to hand them half the test or a quarter of the test. But in an English class, it might be an in-class writing essay with one question. So what do you do? Like, is it mm-hmm. fair to let them leave and come back at lunch when they could have worked on, you know, yeah. it just gets, to, or or they have to be removed from their peers and get into, you know, re- uh, be in an empty testing room. Well, what if I have nine kids with that accommodation? Right. They have to say they have to be tested alone. It's just like that's not feasible. Yeah. And so we all have. There's this pushback with teachers going, "Look, to us, it's very, very clear that kids are overdiagnosed, and yet we're a largely uh, empathetic bunch, a little overly so. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's weird to have this like." Even even the most empathetic are are deeply skeptical, and in the rat race of college admissions, uh, you need to like every if if thirty and I'm not joking here if thirty percent of your of students are getting like advantages and you're like I want an advantage yeah and so you go in and you just you know take a couple tests and get slapped with that diagnosis because they hand that out like it's candy I swear they do right. Um, so anyway, so if you're a parent that wants to look, I think this is your point. If you're a parent who is also looking for affirmation and your kid seems a little down or whatever, go get them, <laughs> go get them some pills and, and, uh, it, or then it, like the world at least makes sense. All right, I'm getting them pills. They're going to see their therapist. I'm a good parent. I responded in love. Um, and, and I'd like to think that someone who like a teenager in a world that is uh, not insane, then that would be like a very few number of kids instead yeah. of two or three a class for me that are on pills and need uh, a therapist. And that's the that's the, the the pills and the and the depression. That's one sector of kids, and there's another with uh, there's a there's another four or five per class with ADHD. Right. And I'm not even kidding you. And my class might be like sixteen to twenty kids yeah it just so. seems a little unbelievable I, like it's i know i'm not even exaggerating those numbers know, yeah. that's like the, that, it, it, yeah. it seems like you know we've we've reached the point where we're we're seeing something in the data that is representative not of truth but of some other complicating behavior and i know people have been puzzling over the increase especially in um you know mental illness for young people and not just mental illness but suicide attempts and hospitalizations so right because that's a big deal that is like that is not 
exa- if, if if there are deaths, that's not an exaggeration, you know? Like, right. that's not like, oh, well, like, no, they are killing themselves. Like, that means something. And, it also and, speaks to these dangers of social media, and we've well, talked about so, it a lot. There we go. That's, but, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, people, even us, have done a lot of attribution of that to social media. And I do think it's a large component, but I'd never considered before this additional abstract layer. It's like one layer removed and the parents also could be like this this part of this could be foisted upon these young people who are eventually experiencing these um, these events because of some sickness in our society that causes you know the parents to behave in this way like our incentive structures are set up such that parents are rewarded for for harming their children in many ways and then the children are obviously harmed and they accrue some rewards uh, for that too so we have this really sick system, um, and I think a non-trivial part of it does go back to that empathetic nature, overly empathetic. Again, for people who didn't listen to that episode, I don't think empathy is worthless or bad. I think we just lean far too heavily on it. And I think I think we're observing a lot of the negative effects of that. I guess, I hope, this is the optimist in me, that this is just a growing pain of trying to understand the human mind trying to be open about breaking down taboos and saying there's a lot of internal processing which includes pain that we don't fully understand and because this is a relatively new historically speaking uh, conversation it we're really sloppy about it and we're trying to be uh, loaded word but progressive about it like we're trying to say let's think let's 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 dive in let's actually deconstruct this and like not make it a cultural taboo so i want to like i i tend to agree with everything you're saying while saying like i don't know the alternative i like i don't think this sort of buck up tough it tough it out is always bad mm-hmm. by the way they're, they're they're cleaning my window i'm on the second story right now right outside but he's got a big brush and so i'm <laughs> sorry if you can hear it i can't hear it's it just like but they probably do this maybe, I would guess, once every year or two is, would be my guess, and they're doing it right now. It's kind of funny. It's a kind of distracting. <laughs> um, well, but what do you think? What do you think? Like, like I, there's got to be, it's kind of this balance, right? It's like, oh, you seem sad. Let me get you a psychiatrist or psychologist and some pills. And then, uh, or, oh, you're sad. Buck up. Who cares? Like, both of those seem wrong to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that... Let's see. I think, well, it's just very complicated. I, I, I was having a conversation with someone recently who um, is in school to be a therapist. Uh, and I suggested that I think that as a society, we are far too reliant on therapists and therapy. And that I was a little skeptical of the whole practice of therapy because... To me, it seems like a, a really good friend can be can serve all the roles that a therapist could and more. And so um, if you have a really close friend that uh, can give you honest feedback and can listen to your problems, then you're doing way better and you probably don't need a therapist if you, if you have that. And this person vehemently disagreed. Um, surprise yeah i know right i mean you're really threatening their their like oh, whole worldview right like their axiom i know but with, I you, was, with you pressing but it was d- very disheartening for me because 
you would think of all people, a therapist would be able to understand the, the, the depth of a relationship between, you know, two people, friends. And in fact, their job in a way is to, to build up that sort of close connection with their, with their clients so that they can understand their issues. Their job isn't even to advise their job. Their job is to listen and help their client work through their, their own issues. Ideally, although that may not be what always happens. And in a friendship, you know, a, a lot of those roles are there as well. Um, and, I agree with you, but do you so, think as a friend, yeah. as a friend, uh, like I do have a sense of duty to you to give you honest feedback, but simultaneously, I also have a duty to our friendship at, or a loyalty to like want, and so I wouldn't, I guess it wouldn't be my job anyway to say things that would hurt you, but it would be my job, I say job, but you know what I mean, uh, to, to ask questions or, I mean, honestly, if you were doing something so bad and harmful to you, like well, my job would be, your to, job would be uh, to push back. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah. If you started saying, Hey, I'm going to start doing heroin. I'd be like, <laughs> I wouldn't just say, do you think that's uh, the best course of action? Right. I would actually get more into the advice, if not something even more severe and say, no, well, that's what I'm not. And that's part <laughs> of what I'm saying. Therapists are restricted from doing a lot of that. And, you know, their hands are tied by regulation and professional courtesy and so on. And so you get part, you get a small fraction of what a, a good friendship can be, but not all of it. And so to me, it's obvious that a good friendship is therapy plus. It's therapy, but better. You get more than that because you get the benefit of someone who knows you far better than a therapist can. And, you know, they have the experience of history. You know, they've observed your behaviors over time and can use that information. I mean, I think a good friend and a quality and intelligent person. So you've got all of that with me. So yeah. I'll, so yeah, you're, so yes. No, I mean, but I, I will say. The average idiot yeah. is not going to have the sort of uh, thoughtfulness to, uh, I mean, really though. Sure, like, and that's like, why. Uh, certainly, yeah, someone with a distance, they're, they, they, they don't have, they're not as invested and they've been trained to ask really good questions totally yeah totally look i'm I'm not utility there is utility and i'm not saying that it's a worthless profession i just think that again we have an over reliance on it and and to to kind of bring it back to you know the parents behavior it's very easy for them to just push their children off into some therapist's office and say oh well they're going to fix the problem instead of instead of actually doing the work of building the relationship and being a role model and a guide to their children. And I think a lot of parents are guilty of, you know, kind of neglecting that responsibility. And and that's another reason why we are where we are. And again, just to, um, or to, to address another issue, you know, you use the loaded word um, progressive. Uh, I think that another issue is that we are kind of discarding um, a lot of the a lot of the wisdom of the past, you know, a lot of the traditional parenting roles, the traditional way that you should raise your kids, we're throwing that all away in the name of, you know, progressivism or maybe by necessity because of, you know, the way the times are changing and technology and so on. <laughs> yeah. But whatever our reasons for throwing away that old wisdom, the fact remains that we have thrown it away and we're kind of lost without it. And so we're trying to kind of feel our way around. That's a good point. And you know, inevitably, when you're groping around in the dark, you're going to run into the door or, you know, stumble or something. And I think that's kind of what we what we may be doing collectively. I'm not even ascribing ill motives to any of that. I'm just saying it's no wonder that that sort of thing is happening. And it's annoying, too, that 
I guess this is my biggest frustration is I do just by like suicide numbers alone think that people are in pain more than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so our solution is to talk like cognitive behavioral therapy and medicine. And it's just instead of saying, hey, can we examine how we've constructed society and what like those are the real like I mean, if, that's if important but it's a society are it's just a big problem though you know? it's a big problem it's a huge problem but i'm saying that we've designed a society so quickly that we're not currently ready for and we're just continuing down that path and going well what you gonna do like shoulders up hands palms up shrug shoulders whatever yeah. just like i don't know what to do and and like but like we're just gonna continue to be sick and kind of what like try and talk it out a little with a stranger who's got like a two year degree, an increasingly you know, some social worker, like and, yeah, yeah, and with and throw some and you know how medicine and you would know this more than I would, but it's just sort of like here let's flood your body with some chemicals that may or may not do that and yeah. it'll certainly do a lot of other things too. It just seems like such a it's really despairing <laughs> to think uh, to think that like. People are in pain, and we're we're putting band aids on it instead of like changing behaviors. I mean, I guess real cognitive behavioral therapy can change behaviors, so that can sure. be profound. Yes. Uh, so I don't want to downplay that. That seems important to me to change perspectives, and if you change perspective, then you might change behavior. Like that seems that that reasons through for me. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to totally, you know, I don't want to throw out the entire profession. I think there's a lot there, and you know, a good friend may be able to do all of the listening um, and, and advising and, and the uh, assistance with understanding, but they may not be aware of techniques, particular behavioral techniques that they could use, you know, like exposure therapy or whatever. Um, they may stumble upon some of that naturally, which would which is nice, but you know, a therapist could be good for actually having some repertoire of techniques that they could use uh, to try yeah, to help someone. I don't someone. think it's even that as much as that the authority that they have. If I tell... I think the real problem with like a friendship is if I say, "Hey, man, you should um, try this when you feel stressed." You'd be like, "Thanks," but if a professional does yeah, it and sure. you're in the right headspace where you're desperate enough to go and drive to them on Tuesday afternoon and do this, and they tell you to do it, they're like, uh, "You're like, oh, this person, this degreed person with authority has told me to, and I'm invested." Yeah, it's really totally. just about the uh, investment of the the person the, of the patient, because once you take assume the role of patient. You might be more willing. Anyway, yeah, that's my so so. That's the utility. Is more that it's like it's like marriage counseling or something like that. It's not so, any like obviously at the end of the day, it's you and your partner. But if you're you've you've dedicated a space on Thursday night or whatever it is, and you've gone and you're paying money and you're like investing, and in and then you have someone to help guide, uh, like that's useful uh, to me. But you're right. I don't. I don't know how useful. Like it just seems to me that like, well, theoretically, you should be able to just do it. <laughs> yeah, that's my sense. I mean, again, like I, you know, I'm just thinking out loud for all of this, and I'm not. I'm not willing to totally denounce anything. But it just seems like if people, if people were real about it, <laughs> then well, let me know. connect you to this. Like we are. Like when you throw out God, back to that, you throw out God, you are uh, you are not humble anymore. Like the the belief in God is inherently humbling. Like you mm-hmm. are you are not the end all be all. You throw out God and you can't humble yourself. But the act, if you're if you're just desperately looking for something new and like whatever, 
Well, the act of entering into the patient role, you're saying I will uh, exercise humility okay, here. Okay, that's an interesting point. So our new gods are, you know... Are, <laughs> our therapists. Therapist and AI or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever we were saying earlier. <laughs> we, need, we need gods. We will be worshiping. And we, we, if, if you refuse to worship, like an end-all, be-all, God, capital G, then you're going to just worship, you know... Pro- progressivism <laughs> and be kind of like confused about it yikes well that's a good place to end yeah over over